It's Friday, Toy Department time. Uh, at least uh, this Friday, we're we're talking right now. Might not be Friday when you're listening to this. Uh, I'm Derek Madden. He's Matt Kolsky. How are you today, sir? Not bad. How are you? Uh, not the best. Yeah. <laughs> not the best. I, I, I lost my dog yesterday. Yeah, um, I'm real sorry, buddy. It's just, it's just a know, terrible thing. Yeah, it's just it's just a bummer. She was an awesome dog. So, um, but it's what it is, man. You know, uh, yeah. things were not great for her. So I'm I'm glad that she's in, in a better place uh, now. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's right. Today's the first day you wake up, and and you know you're so used to <sighs> take like there's a bowl with food in it over in the you know. Oh in the God. Corner. You know what I mean? Just, yeah. No, so. believe me, I I know exactly what you mean. I got a dog who's about to turn 16 and slowing down considerably. So I'm uh, I'm right in the middle of the same dilemma. Yeah, happens fast. Happens yeah. fast. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, we should not talk about that much more. No, let's depressing. not. I have a ton, a ton of content to talk about. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> you should we start with uh, last night's top chef? I think we should. Yes. Um, I, I'm not trying to badmouth anyone, but good riddance. <laughs> All right. So do you want? Let's. Uh, so I guess we should start with uh, with uh, Stephanie, our loser. Uh, yeah. This week. Did you watch? Last Chance Kitchen. I did watch Last Chance Kitchen, so I think yeah. it's fair to say, uh, you know, uh, you know, you know how it goes on the show. I don't think we need to give a spoiler alert to say she's a double loser. Uh, she week. is, and and like I think, and I don't know that you can always say this, but um, I gotta say, I feel like she was very clearly the worst chef in the group. And that includes Leah, who was eliminated last week. Just very clear. Yeah. So we didn't really talk much about Leah last week. Yeah. Uh, but do you know, like, Leah's kind of the most television credentialed chef on the show. Like, she's been on Iron Chef and Chopped. She won Iron Chef, I think. She beat Bobby Flay, something yeah. like that. So, like, she's done a lot of these shows. Um, and I suspect that. Uh, she just got unlucky that she got sick. <laughs> the first I, week, I think, right? yeah, I mean, that that's certainly probably part of it. And, and just like a bad, you know, look, anyone can make a single mistake. Right. And on this show with so many good chefs, that's all it takes. But, I, you know, I think you could argue, could have argued Stephanie deserved to be eliminated last week, despite how bad Leah sucked. And certainly like the other two in the bottom three this week, it didn't even seem close to me. Like, the other two made okay dishes on a day where almost everyone hit it out of the park, and that's a tough space to be. But Leah, or, or rather, Stephanie just didn't make a good dish. I'm almost glad that the judges were sort of, like, explained the broken rice comment. You yeah. know what I mean? That, like, yeah, sometimes it's just what you say. You got to defend your food. Totally. Uh, 
I, I suspect that uh, Stephanie is not quite as bad a chef as sort of the uh, these first two episodes kind of make her out to be. Like, I bet if we went to that restaurant in Bismarck. Oh, I uh, bet it's spectacular. We'd probably enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, like but I don't get on this show without being capable of making incredible food. Yeah. But the level here is so high and she just was not on it. Right. I think there is a an artistry. Yes. Uh, uh, that she just doesn't really like possess. You know what I mean? And I don't or, or and I don't even mean that as like because I think that's a thing that you could get over time. I just don't yes. think she has it right now. You know what I mean? And uh, I think it's probably a thing that she's not super concerned with in her life. Yeah. No, it seems like they're over there making happy food. I did. I did think it was kind of funny that uh, when they showed the shot of her and her husband. Yeah. Uh, that he, he was wearing a Vikings hat and they had to blur out Vikings. <laughs> like, yep. like, it's like, really? Can't do that? Can't say Vikings? Um, NFL trademarks, man. Watch out. Yep. But, do um, not infringe. I did. It did kind of bug me that like her whole persona was like North Dakota Hayseed. Yep. Like, I don't know. As someone who's, you know, I mean, she was a Minneapolis chef for a while. You know what I mean? So like, I, I don't know. Right. I feel like she sort of represented the region and all of it was just like, uh, oh shucks! This is not how they do this. Uh, this is not how we do this back home. You well, know, what and I, mean? I think yeah, and I think it does a disservice. Food, state fair and like, right. I think like, it does not what Minneapolis cuisine is like. I can I I can promise you that we got not our share dishes and weird stuff. But like, there's a real culinary scene here, you know. Well, and I think it does a disservice to every you know middle American cook who's not in a foodie city as well, because like, fine, you you live in a place where meat and potatoes is the thing doesn't mean you can't be creative and season your damn food yeah i mean look justin sutherland was on the show a couple years ago you know saint paul chef he, seasoning his food is not an issue for that dude you know what i mean yeah. so um it's you know it's, it's i yeah it but it just bugged me because like at one point she's like talking about north dakota and then she's like and i'm making a brazilian stew and I'm like, why did we have right. to talk about North Dakota to get to your Brazilian stew? Which, of course, turned out to be she was in over her head there, too. So She didn't uh, actually, as it turned out, make a Brazilian stew. She made beans with some meat <laughs> in the stock. She made and, beans in her and, and they And they were like, why did you take all the meat out, lady? Well, and it is a perfect example. And actually, this is a sort of a great, to me, uh, a way to kind of subject to the other end. Uh, because I, to me, I, if there's one, if my big, if I have a big takeaway from this episode, it's kind of Demar has entered the chat. You That's know what right, I'm Chicago <laughs> baby, let's go. I knew he was gonna put it together. A little nervous yeah. in week one. He, he <laughs> just wasn't cooking his food, and this week he said, "F it, I'm cooking my food." And they were like, "Bro, your food is fire." Yeah. Well, I mean, he, you know, uh, his his resume, his CV in Chicago, there's pretty good. Yep. And I, I, I do think it's interesting because I, you know, in a way, right, with with Stephanie making beans and rice, like they sort of made similar dishes, right? Like, kinda. This guy's dirty pharaoh, like just making his mom's recipe and like crushed it, and it looked elevated. And obviously, they, you know, they said it was the best dish. His quick fire was also really impressive. I thought so. Um, watch out for Demar. Uh, yeah, you know, he dominated the episode, um, and and he did it by being really true to himself. And I think, look, most of the, you know, high-level Top Chef competitors go through that at some point in the show, right? The whole, like, this is a huge stage, and I'm trying to just pull out all the stops, but at some point they go, you know what? 
I got here by being myself, so why don't I try that? Yeah. I would like to uh, to give some flowers for uh, Magical Elves this week. Because uh, I, I thought they were uh, two really good challenges. I really I, I liked the quick fire, and I really liked the, the guest judge of the quick fire. Like, I thought she really had a great yes. vibe. Yeah. <laughs> um, even when she was like kind of critical of stuff, you know, oh, she was hilarious. Who yeah. lost? Whoever lost, she was like, "Yeah, that was bad." <laughs> I didn't yeah. like it at all. Yeah, I, I think it was Jackson, like right? Yes, because he I, made the I, hard cheat. He he. Uh, okay, and uh, that's a. This is another classic Top Chef moment, right? Like, and this is how. I think we both kind of pegged Jackson going into the season just by looking at him and being uh, judgmental as the dude who would like do the thing that was turning the concept on its head, but take it way too far, you know, like take creativity to its illogical endpoint. Um, and he did that by taking a queso challenge where the whole concept was about dipping a thing and removing the dip. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't think he is that guy. By the way, I I I do, I do think he just sort of screwed up. Um, yeah, maybe. I just think you know, it's funny that it, the guy who we stereotyped as the overthinker overthought the hell out of it on on this quick fire challenge. I, <laughs> again, the fact that he is actually generally making great food without being able to taste it is pretty remarkable. Yeah. I, I would say that that is true. Also, it's like when they were like, does anybody here play football? I was like, oh, that guy's if there's anybody, it's got to be that guy. Um, and I, I, I thought he had some pretty nice self-deprecation about his football career. Yeah, it was um, pretty funny. And then he actually showed up big in the challenge, right? Like, yep. didn't he? Yeah. So uh, so good for him, I thought. Um, the other contestant I thought who uh, who really showed me something. Uh, and and sort of announced themselves as maybe potential uh, contender, uh, even though it didn't really go their way. Um, thanks, I think, to maybe some Dawn over Dawning it. Yeah, um, it's Monique. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Was it Dawn or was it Sam? It seemed like it was Sam's idea. Crazy weird ass Sam, who I just love so much. He's so weird. <laughs> His energy is fantastic. It's him, him, so and Buddha, I find are delights. They're yes. completely different, but uh -huh. they're, they're both delights. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Uh, Buddha, I just listening to him talk is joyful. He's the, that weird accent is so wonderful. Yeah, and but he also, there's a weird accent. He has a, some really great enthusiasm, yep. and I really like his creativity as a chef. He's you know very I mean? outside like, the box. Yeah, I think, and I think he understands his lane. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, so yeah, and I, I also think he was another one that made a good dish, a really good dish that just ran up against a slightly better one. You know what I mean? I think uh, virtually uh, everyone. I mean, even like uh, the other two, it was Sarah and Luke in the bottom three with Stephanie. And even Sarah and Luke, it seemed like, probably made dishes that, you know, if we ate them, we'd be like, wow, this is great. They just didn't stand up to the incredibly high level of this particular challenge. Yeah. I mean, I would have had, a, I'm not, I don't really enjoy pumpkin flavor. So I probably would have had a tough time okay. with Luke's dishes. Fair <laughs> enough. And, you know, uh, they said it was a little oily, but then Gail was like, you know, I just thought that was the sauce. So it's it was prop. My guess is it was a level of oily that would not bother a normal person. Yeah, I am very concerned for Luke um, because I just I think he's really in his head right now. Yes, he has not found his footing. Yeah, and I think that could that could do him in. He, he, does, he is not cooking with confidence at the moment. I, uh, I, I honestly 
which is weird for the for the Noma guy, right? You know what yes. I mean? Or Nomi, whatever the name of that restaurant is. Noma was like, correct. I I feel yeah. like this is. I maybe we say this every season, but it just feels like the level across the board is so damn high. You know, I because even that you know we went through the the few people who seemed like the clear front runners last week. And, you know, we didn't mention people like Monique or Damar or Evelyn. And all of them were just so good this week. I don't know. It, it, it really feels like the sort of show where from the very beginning, and I think Leah is a testament to this, from the very beginning, if you just make a couple mistakes, it could just be your day to go home. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it, it's going to be like that for – I mean, we probably have, I don't know, there's, there's maybe a little bit more chaff, another week or two of chaff sort of that we can we can cut out of this, I think. Maybe, and, but, then, and, and I guess Sarah is the most obvious uh, sort of next person up on the block. But yeah, it's but a, would a you be shocked with Sarah if, if, if her, a lot of her problems might have just been situational, I think. You know yeah, what I mean? But that's what I'm saying. Like, if I had to pick someone, she's probably next, but... Luke was in the bottom three, and would you be shocked if he dominated next week the way Demar did this week? Because I would no, not. Yeah, I, I could definitely see him coming back. So uh, it's and, just and, the the so. talent level here is is really really high. It's really high. Yeah, I agree. The um uh, the other thing I wanted to mention for Magic Gloves is that I was highly skeptical of this football setup, um, and they did really ham it up <laughs> they, they really they really yeah uh, pad was some of the football stuff like even even for top chef it was like unashamed you know what i mean which is really yeah sad. padma's like, joke about uh this is about to get cheesy uh extended not only for the cheese challenge but into the football challenge um it was yeah, incredibly sure. cheesy also her blowing the whistle and the entire judges panel being like oh God was one of my favorite <laughs> moments of the show. That like, I mean, that stare down that they made him do. Yes, <laughs> like, I'm like, come on, guys. Yeah, the, the slow mo coin flip. <laughs> they all burst through the the like banners to run into the field. All very yeah. silly. Yeah, it was it was it was ridiculous. And 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 I was like, the setup in terms of like the voting and the yards, and if nobody gets, then everybody. And I was like. Why are they making this so complicated? And I was totally wrong it because it really – and I don't know if, if the show did any maneuvering. It doesn't seem like it. they did it to set up this way, but it wound up being terribly dramatic. Yes. Like it was insanely dramatic and close, and the strategic maneuvering was, was really interesting, and like it just – it turned out to be a great challenge. It so really I, did. And I and, did not see that coming. And Dawn, by the way – Watching the different coaching styles was so funny. Yes. Because your boy, whose name I can't remember and don't care Sam? about, yeah, was like, no, the other coach. Oh, I thought I thought his name was Sam. Was oh, it maybe it was. <laughs> uh, like I said, don't care. But he was so supportive and like, hey, everyone's doing a great job. Like, let's get out there and do our best. And Dawn was like. If we get three of these, we will end them. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. And to go back to your question before, like they showed Sam sort of bringing up the the changing the order to the group. Yes. But afterwards, Dawn was the one saying, "I that's my fault. So but, I was assuming that she was 
the driving force there. I was but. thinking maybe she was just doing like the Phil Jackson thing. Like, I'll take the blame. I'm the head coach. You know, buck, buck stops with me. Yeah. I suspect that that came from her, but I could be wrong. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, either way, they they over strategized um, and they should have just saved their dessert for the end of the meal as is customary. There was one point where you could see, like, in Dawn's posture, like, she was sort of holding her arms, like, in the way that, like, people in track do yes. right before they're about to do something. Yes. Yes. It was like, oh, my God, like, Olympian Dawn is just, is just coming out. Just Full out. on Olympian Dawn emerged with the spirit of competition. I, I loved it. This, this whole season so far has been just, like, you know, like, extra Dawn. It's like, yep. they just like, let's give me some more Dawn. Yeah. How uh, great is that? I know it's it's a, it's a nice little bonus. Has anyone returned to the show more than Brooke Williamson though? Uh the only person I would say who could give her a run for that money would be Richard Blaze. I okay, think those- yeah, he's a good one. He's and and he won like he goes back further, so you may be right on that. But but Brooke is there like 3 to 4 challenges a year minimum. <laughs> yeah, every year. It's great. You I know, love it. She's excellent. Brooke- <laughs> she's she's telegenic. I think she's she's pretty good on the show, and I, I believe that she does a lot of other. She does some Food Network stuff as well. Like I think she's out there doing stuff. So yeah, she also just well, seems like d- sort of she she brings like a level of uh, anti sophistication to some of it, where and I mean that in the best possible way. Where like sometimes they, they everything's getting a little technical, and she's like. This is food, <laughs> you know? Yes. And I like yeah, that. But, but she also, in her cooking, I think, has – she can go very high-end, sophisticated. Oh, for sure. Too, which I well, and that's cool. what's special about someone like her as opposed to someone like Stephanie, right, is, you know, you need – They have all the gears. Exactly. Yeah. She's got every gear. Uh, it was uh, – Sam Talbot is the, was the name of the coach. Well, there you go. Look. So so double Sam's there. Yep, yep. yep. <laughs> um, well, Sam on right. Sam crime. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I don't know if there's a, is there anything else that we need going forward here? Do you, uh, who are you feeling like, uh, are you feeling like Jamar has risen to the, to the top of the contention list now? I mean, I, I think Nick and Buddha, uh, still deserve to be right at the top. They both had another great week. I still think Ashley is a huge threat, but yeah, Demar's right in there for me. Yeah, I mean, look, Demar was impressive this week. My money's actually still on Ashley, and that was Ashley. I think was another subtle one where it was yeah. like, "Oh, just gonna, I'm going to make some uh, African dish that I have never heard of before until right. she starts making it, and then it turns out to be awesome and homey and perfectly seasoned." Yeah, uh, well, like she, and yeah, she just seems like she's going to be really tough to beat. When when the whole comment is like, you know what, that was just really well seasoned and really well made. It seems like it's not the greatest compliment, but I think especially in the early going, you know, you're amongst a bunch of fancy ass chefs that know how to season stuff. And if your dishes consistently stand out as perfectly seasoned, you are really, really good at this. Yeah. To me, I think when they compliment your, the, like the, just the baseline level of the quality of seasoning, right. I think is really good. So to me, when they go out of their way to compliment your seasoning, like I think that's a high compliment, especially because, you know, the chefs that they have not liked or the dishes they have not liked, like lack of seasoning has been a really common uh, criticism. And yeah. In fact, I think it's said everybody who's gone home so far home. So pretty much, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I would. So to me, that's a that's a really when they say something's perfectly seasoned, uh, especially something like a meatball. You yeah. know what I mean? 
think that's a, that's a that's high praise. So it sure is, and and you know that's similar praise, honestly, that Leah got on on Last Chance Kitchen when her little uh, what were they snake bites popcorn rattlesnake? Yeah, the popcorn <laughs> rattlesnake was perfectly seasoned, and and Stephanie's alligator was not. Yeah, I just I suspect Leah's a pretty good cook. Yep. Uh, I don't. I you know I think it's I think it's extremely difficult to get all the way through Last Chance. Chance Kitchen from the first spot. Yeah, so I doubt we'll see her back in the competition. But I think she, I think she, in it, uh, you know, if you if you if you do this ten times, um, I think you'd see a lot better results from her in in several of those. You know, hundred percent. I mean? And she definitely seems like she's very comfortable in the one on one competition format. So who knows? Uh, one more thing I, I I noticed in this, and I'm wondering if you noticed. Did it seem like they were really like? cutting in Tom reaction shots to things a lot in this episode. Like he had some great looks that may or may not have necessarily had to do with what they thought of the dishes. And there was one point where like glasses suddenly popped into his head, you know, that he like wasn't wearing a second before where I was like, okay, they're really they're just looking for good faces from Tom. <laughs> That's throwing. funny. I didn't specifically notice that, but it does make sense. There were a lot of good Tom faces in this episode. And uh, although I still think the best of them was right after Padma blew the whistle and he just sort of put his head in his hands like good crowd. <laughs> yeah, those are good. Yeah. When, when Tom's just like, I'm not sure about what you're doing. When is that? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Man, it's just, it's just devastating. <laughs> I will say, like, he has really gotten to a point where he is going above and beyond to give nothing away during Last Chance Kitchen. Because that's the reaction he gives to every single dish that's being prepared on Last Chance Kitchen now. Is They explain it, and he gives them this, like, all right. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and you can like see a there's trip. a moment of panic every time. They're like, all right. Oh, no. <laughs> Um, yeah, Tom, Tom's a treasure, man. He's, and he's really gotten good at this show. Yep. He and Padma, I mean, you know how I feel about Gail. The show is appreciably worse with that other lady instead of her, but Padma and Tom are just like an all time television duo at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, they've had a lot of practice at this point. Yeah, man. 19 times you'll get good at something. All right. Um, uh, let's let's switch to something that's got one episode under its belt. Winning oh. time. Oh wow! On HBO. Uh, wow, wow, wow! This was so good. I had to talk about it on the radio. I did a whole segment <laughs> of a of a sports talk radio show about this television. It is. Uh, I- I'm glad to hear you say that, and I don't know that this really changes it for me. Like, part of me was just wondering, like, am I just so clearly the demographic for this, or uh-huh. is it that good? Like some of the reviews have been mixed, and I I know there are some things that really bothered people uh, about the show, particularly the fourth wall thing. I guess I, I like loved that. I loved it. I was like, you could do the if the whole show was John C. Riley talking through the fourth wall past naked ladies. Yes, I'd, I'd still be in. You know he what is I mean? So good, and I, you forget, you forget. You know, you don't see a guy play a bunch of different rangy roles over a year or two and you you can forget how spectacular an actor somebody is but like you don't i i i almost hesitate to to refer to him as john c Riley because he's so completely this jerry bus character and we can have a debate about how jerry bus the jerry bus character is i i think it's probably pretty close 
whatever it is, he has embodied this idea of this person. And he's so fun and so funny and so convincing that this was a guy who made, at the time, a pretty risky and unpopular decision to to throw money he didn't even have into a likely failing sports league with a team that had all sorts of problems. And he turned it into, you know, the fucking Lakers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I am just old enough. I, I, I'm not old enough to remember these events or this time. You know, it's like it's probably, it's probably three or four. Right. When this is going on. Um, but I am old enough to remember the NBA when it it just wasn't really the NBA yet or the NBA kind of as we think of it. In See, that, I'm not. I like with the finals being taped late or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? This is uh, this is our generational difference. I am right at the point where like I came into real consciousness just as the NBA became the NBA because it was yeah. Jordan. Right. So I came in. I came in in Magic and Larry. So you know what I mean. Like I am. Uh, you know. And and by the point that I like I wasn't. I would not say that I was watching the NBA when they were tape delaying the finals, but it was kind of a Saturday afternoon on CBS sort of side side right. show at that point pre Jordan. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. And then, uh, you know, Magic and Larry kind of did their thing, and obviously this is what a lot of the show is going to be about. But, man, I – it was a major risk, uh, and I love that they're showing that. I love that we're kind of getting, like, the, you know, this first look at sort of Jeannie and her interest in the yes. business, what that's going to become. And um, I love I loved all the McKay, like, stuff that they've done with the look of this show and the way that they've sort of made it look 70s yeah it, it looks like an old porn on vhs yeah yep and a lot of the devices are a little over the top but i'm i i love all of it i, I like i i can't get enough of this show i i it's like stylistically it's it's the dick cheney movie but fun yeah yeah and that's i think that's another huge part of it is too that it's uh it, it is so much fun this is all fun and you don't have to feel crappy about it i mean there's you know people do bad things but like sure you know it's yeah i'm 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 it, what a good time what a, what a fun world to spend some time in and i can't wait to see knowing obviously knowing some of the stuff where the story goes you know what i mean like well and i also want to say like like we're years from pat riley you know I what know, i mean <laughs> i know amazing and look we're we're talking about john c riley we talked about a lot but i think the young man playing Magic, the guy playing Kareem, the the dude playing Jerry West. Again, like, I don't know how precise that is to the reality of Jerry West at that time. But I know that that portrayal I, is in line with every single sort of quiet behind-the-scenes thing you hear about Jerry West. And also, a spectacular portrayal of that character, whatever he is. Just fantastic stuff. And I I got such a like joy injection from watching these sort of versions of beloved NBA characters that anyone who cares about the league knows and has an appreciation for. Like I just thought it was great and so much fun, and I'm so excited for where it's about to go. Because like you're saying, this is going to span over a few years of action, and man, a lot happens. Yeah. That scene where they where it's just like just the shot of the hallway and it, it, yeah, outside of Jerry West's office and then you yeah. see the trophy fly out. Yes. Ah, like, oh, so good. And you know, I guess there is some dispute about whether whether that that is capturing the real Jerry or not. But I sort of love that. Like, 
the the show sort of implies like well a lot of people think Jerry was like this but really you know so it is uh, everything I've ever heard about Jerry West and that includes old man Jerry West as an employee of the organization it is exactly in line with everything I have ever heard and you know because of what I do for a living that includes some people who were there for various yeah. parts of it um and, and, he's, and he's certainly known as a not necessarily happy person at, never by happy. his own mission right correct so. he has talked about that just not a happy guy and his career is defined fundamentally his playing career by two things in a, it, it, his entire career is completely and utterly defined by on one hand unbelievable spectacular greatness like if you ever want to impress yourself, just go look at Jerry West's stats. They're absurd. And guess what? His regular season stats, which are totally absurd, he was an all-star every single year of his career. He came in the league, averaged 17 points, and then never again below 20. He went to the finals again and again, and all he did was lose every single time. His career is inexorably defined by unbelievable greatness and unbelievable failure. And that sort of, I think, informs who he became as a person. And again, like, we'll never know exactly how much of that sort of red-ass SOB he really was. But to see the sort of rumor come to life on screen is just a delight for me. Yeah. He did win one title, by the way, as a player. Well, but obviously a ton as a general manager, right? Like, so yeah, uh, no, he's been very yeah. successful as a general manager. But the like, he he got no joy out of the title as a player, if you ask him. Right. No, for sure. And um, I mean, it's one of those things too, where it's like to uh, like just imagine what a player would have to do now to win the Finals MVP on a losing team. Well, yeah, think right. of what LeBron did only, you know, in, in defeat. And Andre Iguodala won the damn trophy, you know? That's what, that's what I mean, right? Like, it, like, it's, it's re, like, it's just about impossible. And he did that. He won the finals MVP on the losing team. Um, yeah. You know, so that is, that'll give you, I think that to me is the most Jerry thing. And obviously that's a big part of, uh, you know, this particular episode. Uh, that thing that he calls a booby prize and hates, you know what I mean? Yes. Um, um, and it's funny because Kyrie launched a little campaign last year to try to get him off the logo. You know yeah. what I mean? I think the lo- him being on the logo is another thing I think that he kind of hates, right? So, um, yeah, yeah. You know. I mean, he, yeah, he wishes Strange he had thing. the accolades he didn't have. Um, and by the way, uh, if you're curious, what he did in that finals was 38 points a game, seven and a half assists, and just under five rebounds. He shot the ball at 49% from the field and 84% from the free throw line. That's how you win 38 a game and seven and a half assists. With no three-point line, by the way. With no three-point line. That's how you win finals MVP (laughs) in a loss. Uh, And by the way, uh, they were up 3-2 in that series. Uh, They lost the last two uh, to, to lose the series and in the last game he had 42 on 29 shots yeah you know it's uh yeah fascinating guy i, I, I can't wait to explore more of, of 
him and uh and yeah i'm really excited for where this story goes yep uh, you know this this is going to be appointment viewing and me. i think we have to say uh and, and i say this with all due respect to the great jackie moon there is absolutely no way this would have been as good with will ferrell as as uh jerry bus yeah no, no i mean chance. look i you know what we know sort of, of this dispute is all mckay's side so i don't you know i don't know if they if that friendship really ended over this but like you got to say it's the right call. I just <laughs> it's, it's absolutely the right call. It's, but like, it's the right call. Yeah. This was the, that was that was the move. And it's yeah. Sorry, Will. Jackie Sorry, Will. made a made a real life appearance the other day. That was, that was, oh, uh, man. That was dope. And I and I and I have I talked to people uh who were there. He did not break character for 1 second. Every single person uh, he encountered on the floor in the back like he went in the locker room and made a speech, and nobody saw Will Ferrell. Not one person in the building saw Will Ferrell that night. It was Jackie Moon from start to finish. I'm dying to know because I did see some shots of uh, you know Kawhi kind of doing some warm up shoot around you know stuff. Like if if Jackie Moon went over and tried <laughs> tried oh, to man. do with Kawhi. That's a great question. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, yeah. See, that's it, and this is how inscrutable Kawhi is. Like. You're 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 saying that because we we would imagine that it would be a very awkward encounter and Kawhi would just not be into it. But at the I same have time, no idea how it would go. None. That's <laughs> the thing. He, he's so inscrutable that he literally he might love uh, whatever the damn movie semi pro and yeah. like love it for all we know. We just we have no idea what goes on inside Kawhi's brain. Yeah. Also, really, they because you know they interviewed Clay about it after the game, and you could tell. Clay knows his way around semi-pro. <laughs> oh, no. Clay. Like, it's very yeah. real. <laughs> Clay, I bet, could do most of the lines in semi-pro <laughs> at this point. Uh, Clay's also a, just a treasure. Just a treasure. Not, you know, maybe maybe not up totally up to speed yet, but a national treasure nonetheless. Yep. Um, all right. Uh, let's let's segue over to Nightmare Alley, um, which is the Guillermo del Toro, uh, Bradley Cooper uh, epic. I'm fascinated to hear what you think of this. I I, I gotta say I was um, not super psyched to watch this. You know, I pulled it in like Wednesday night. I'm like, oh god, two and a half hours. You know, in in old timey land. Here we go. But man, Guillermo del Toro knows what he was he's doing, and this thing really sucked me in. And it's been a minute since I've. Since I've watched one of his movies and I just forgot how like visually striking and sumptuous his filmmaking can be. Yeah. Uh, um, visually even, arresting is the phrase that comes to mind. Yeah. And even though I don't always like the the, the stories sometimes uh -huh. that he's trying to tell, I, I enjoyed this one quite a bit. Um, and I thought that just a, a tremendous cast, <laughs> like a really deep bench of folks. Uh, doing all doing some really interesting stuff. I I had a really good time uh, enjoying this movie, and I would dare say, you know, I came in complaining about two and a half hours, and I don't even say I thought it was too long. I it, I I no notes <laughs> for me on this. I really enjoyed Nightmare Alley. Yeah, I I think I would say the same, and and like, <clears throat> this isn't even a criticism, but I think this is like it's a it's a it's a it's a tremendous three and a half star movie, if that makes sense. Like, I I can't necessarily argue that it's 
essential or or that like the themes are particularly important they're pretty classic human noir themes it's a pretty classic noir film in a lot of ways but it is a bunch of craft people from del toro who you just said a lot of smart stuff about to i mean bradley cooper and rooney mara and kate blanchett and ron perlman in his role this is top to bottom everybody incredibly talented working at an incredibly high level and it just looks spectacular and it like you said it really draws you in and it's so funny because like i said it's not particularly essential but when i compare it to something like the power of the dog it's gripping and there's no wasted time and there's no like there's never a feeling of like all right what am i doing sitting here waiting for something to happen like it's just it's a movie in the truest sense and it's also incredibly high level like film art and you can do both those things and and you know i i'm with you i don't always love guillermo del toro but at least he is taking swings at at the actual plate he's not like standing in a batting cage or using a tee you know what i mean yeah you know it's the carnival like the traveling carnival i think it's just such an interesting setup for the things that he likes to do yeah right like you know like monsters and freaks you know sort of a recurring theme in his work but he wants to really humanize them right and and this is the place for that yeah um and and i think that the you know, sort of the the monster and the freak is really like, what a what a really interesting sort of setup. And then uh, I did not see the end coming the way that it did. You know, nor did uh, I. And then the the and and I you know when it happens, I feel like and I don't want to spoil this. Actually, I think we should not spoil it. But when the end I, happens, you're definitely like, of course, of course, right. this is how yeah. it ends. But <laughs> but I totally didn't see it coming either. And I also just thought, you know, like you said, the the themes of you know monsters and freaks is always part of his work but i think this this film in particular does a does an especially good job of juxtaposing and and you know drawing the story in a way that that asks the very thoughtful question of who's the real monster right i mean that's what's happening here you have a lot of choices you know yeah (laughs) um and and I just think yeah, it's, the monster might be all of us. That's right. <laughs> and, and I think that that sort of, again, classic noir theme, but it's just done very artfully and successfully. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, when you compare this to like, uh, you know, Steven Soderbergh's uh, noir movie from, from last year that, you know, we enjoyed. Yeah. I, I way more fun with this. Agreed. Um, it's so. both visually more spectacular and I think just a little bit better executed. Yeah. Uh, oh, you know, I also wanted to shout out Holt McElhaney. Uh, oh, yeah, our, our our old buddy Holt. Yeah, who I think I think you know you mentioned Ron Perlman. I think it's, you know there's some guys having some really interesting runs, and both of those guys I think use their physicality uh, in really interesting ways. But there's so much kind of like depth that goes beneath that. Yes. Um, yeah. So shout out to them. Great performances. There's that guy you know who's like in traffic. Uh, that that kind of shows up in this. Um, yeah, who's in, really he's in the carnival. Actor. Yeah, um, just really deep cast, and and everybody's doing really great work. And I, yeah, I I had a lot of fun. Yeah, Tony um, Collette. 
David so, yeah. Strathern. I mean, everybody. <laughs> and they're all throwing fastballs. It's it's it. it I, I strongly recommend this. I mean, it is. It's an investment of both time and like, uh, you know, focus. But but I I really recommend it. I, is there anybody doing uh just in terms of volume of just good work like anybody doing more than Bradley Cooper right now? Man. You know, there's probably some people you could throw into the conversation, but he's up there. Yeah. I mean, even when the movies aren't good, he's good in them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And usually they're good. <laughs> I, can't, I can't think of too many lately that he's he's screwed up. He's making some really good choices, and I just, yeah. You know, he, he could have easily had a pretty boy career and, and oh, went yeah. for something different. And, uh, and yeah. you know, we're about to see him again this week with our homework, so let's go. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I've heard he's excellent in that, by the yeah, way. So. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm excited. You know, uh, he's also right. uh, I, I knocked my headphones out. So I'm assuming you can still hear me. I can. Uh, but I can hear myself. Um, Let's talk real quick uh, about Law and Order. You want to you you hear me, though? While I got myself here set up. Well, I wanted to say one more thing about Bradley Cooper, but I want you to hear it. So I'm, um, I'm here now. Oh, good. Bradley Cooper, did you know he is also uh, cast and in pre-production to play Leonard Bernstein in uh, in a biopic? No, but I uh, I'll be ready for that. He is writing, directing, and starring as Leonard Bernstein in a. I guess maybe it's not a. Yeah, no, it's a. It's about his uh, his marriage, I guess. Uh, when's that coming out? Do we know? No, nah, I mean it's pre-production now, but yeah. okay, um, it's a lot. Fair yeah, it's 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 uh, him and Carrie Mulligan, and Jeremy Strong is also a lead. Oh, all right, I'm ready. Uh-huh. Let's uh, let's talk about Law and Order. Okay, are you excited to have it back? I am very excited to have it back, and I, I'm not sure I even could have identified specifically why until I watched it. I want to hear. I want to hear where you're going with this. I, I mean, I just kind of forgot because it's been so long since I was watching old school Law and Order. I really loved the original the most because it's the only one that's actually Law and Order, and I like that design. I think in many ways it's like an unimpeachable, eternal show design. Thirty minutes of the investigation 30 minutes of the courtroom and i enjoy both parts so like it's just it was like i hadn't had pizza for 10 years and someone was like remember pizza and i was like yeah i remember liking pizza a lot i wonder what it was and then i put it in my mouth and i was like oh yeah the cheese and the bread and then there's sauce in between this is perfect it's a perfect design And it, it's like, have, it's, it doesn't even have to be the best pizza in that scenario, right? That's kind of what I mean is that, like, you're not really talking about the best pizza. You're talking about, like, random street pizza place, right? Yeah, you know I'm what just I mean? talking like, about pizza. Like, I hadn't I think, had any pizza for a decade, so putting pizza in my mouth again was like, oh, wow, I love this. I almost forgot how much I love it, even if it's yeah, just but, like an average episode of Law & Order. I really enjoyed it. I think that the the kind of the just street part of that is important because the 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 pulpiness of Law and Order I think is probably you know just as much a part of it as the design 
Yeah, you know what I mean? Two classic ripped from the headlines, but but we have to pretend it's not episodes. Yeah, and I I do think there's something interesting happening, right? In that uh, the the way that we look at uh, cops (laughs) and the justice system, uh, victims of sexual trauma, uh, all of these things have changed a lot since the last time this show was on the air. And I do think the show understands that it has to try to address that and grapple with it, but. You know, it's it's a pulpy show that's not really a vehicle for societal change. You know what I mean? So it's um, it, it, it struggles with that a little bit, but it's still interesting to sort of watch it struggle with that, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's struggling with it so much as it's like wrestling with it, if that makes sense. Yeah, wrestling might be a better word. I don't I don't know that it's always successful in how it deals with it. Well, you know what I, mean? I, I wouldn't say it's unsuccessful. It might lack depth with the way it deals with some of that stuff um, through two episodes. I do think we're going to see a lot more race drama on this show because it's topical and it fits the brief, you know? Yeah. And it's um, certainly, it's certainly like the, the, the police partnership with uh, Anthony Anderson. And I don't, I've seen that guy. The, he's the guy his, from burn notice. Yeah. Um, I forget you know, there's name, already right? been some, some hints of that. You know what I mean? So, yeah. And I think like that it, it, as much as that, uh, his name is Jeffrey Donovan. Um, as much as in one way, when you say that there's, you know, it sounds a little hacky. I I think it's also probably pretty realistic. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, the, the Jeffrey Donovan character strikes me as a very typical, I think he's Irish supposed to be Irish. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, like New York cop from Long Island. Yeah. It feels like his, his dad was a cop. His uncle was a cop. His younger brother is a is a district attorney. Like he's like a he feels like that guy. Yes, a hundred percent. And look, I it's very important. I feel like for Law and Order to get a good cop pairing. Like you know what I mean. Like that the show needs that to work, right? Uh, and I think they have one here in this in this current version. I agree. So. And in a way, the sort of uneasiness of the partnership through two episodes is a is an interesting aspect of it. Yeah. Um, what'd you think about uh, seeing old ADA Ross in the, in the first episode? Um, interesting. Uh, it, uh, it, it made me acutely aware of the passage of, of my own mortality. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it sure, it sure did. Um, but you know that was a very very long time ago. Sure was. <laughs> that's, her, that's just what like it's just a big sign that said you've been watching the show for a very very long time. It was literally 24 years ago when yeah. she left the show. She left the show, and she, it's not like she was the first assistant district not. attorney either. <laughs> that's what I mean. Yep. Like oh crap, I've been you know watching you know I didn't I wasn't watching it the first episodes when they were on TV. I caught them you know in syndication eventually, but still. If, yeah, if oh, it's probably damn near thirty years I've been watching this show. Yeah, if they were gonna bring back any ADA next, who would you like to see? Ooh, what a I'm, what a great question! I think a I lot mean, of people just default to Abby Carmichael, the great Angie Harmon. But that's kind of where I was headed. I think think if you're asking who I want to see next, that's you know, I you, okay so. I, I obviously Angie Harmon was great. Um, I'm a huge fan of uh, 
ADA Claire Kincaid, played by Jill Hennessy. Yep. Um, I would very much enjoy that. But also, like, I would kind of like to see Paul Robinette on this show. <laughs> wow. Where is Paul Robinette? It's a great question. The last <laughs> time I can remember seeing him was in Firefly. Um, I don't know if you remember, but he appears in the, I believe, the final episode of Firefly as a, like, space assassin. Um, Richard yeah. Brooks, of course, is the actor. Uh, yes. Yeah. No, Paul I'm... Robinette is the, the, the <laughs> ADA. I was looking up the actor's name because I, I could not remember it. All right. Uh, he's still doing uh, stuff. That, that's good. <laughs> he's out there. Yep. He's, he's he, was in... Al- he was in an episode of Alabama Elementary this year. Yep. So- Find yep. right. um he's been on tv a lot uh you could he's, he's got a nice little television career and i would imagine that syndication money from law and order has kept him uh pretty comfortable for a very long time yeah um, he's just been doing a lot of things that i don't watch That's, yes correct yeah yeah good for him all right uh i i'm gonna probably watch some more law and order you know i'll yes. be checking it's a peacock for a while. It's, it's, it feels like a good binge. You know? Yeah, man. The the season pass or whatever you want to call it on my DVR is set. And, like, I'm going to throw it on. Like, there's going to be a Sunday where the kids are napping and the wife and I are like, you want to watch five episodes of Law & Order in a row? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Um, I feel like the the boys, uh, whatever we call the boys thing. Diabolical. Uh, diabolical? Yeah. Turn, it turned me into you a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I turned it to you a little bit on this one. Uh, I watched the first one, which is uh, written by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. I got very excited. It's ca- sort of done in a, a very classic cartoon style. Yeah. And by the end of this, it was just like, I don't need to watch this as a cartoon. <laughs> like, I just don't, I like, I, 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 I'm down for the original show and, yep. and I'm good with that. And I don't need this. Um, so, yeah, like it just I just felt very you. Well, and here's the thing. I feel like they knew that, and that's why none of them is longer than, like, 13 minutes. And I feel like they – this – you know, what this feels like to me is we have too many funny ideas and, you know, crazy ideas to actually get them all in the show. But it's worth it to make a little clearance house of cartoon versions of the storylines we're just not going to be able to get to. Right. It also feels to me a little bit like you're the biggest show on Prime and Prime needs content. Sure. Make something else for us. You know what I mean? In in between seasons and whatnot. Yep. And look, I think any – I watch like five of them because, again, they're short. I just let them run. Um, I think any one of them is mildly entertaining and and undoubtedly they they know their show, right? Like the tone is right and the – insane over the top gross violence and comedy is all there but it just does it does feel remarkably unnecessary <laughs> remarkably unnecessary is a good way to put it oh all right like if, uh, if you're sitting at home thinking god i'd love to watch a 12 minute cartoon based in the world of the boys then you're gonna like this yeah I'm, and i'm sure that's plenty of people out there i bet lots of people will, will watch yeah it. totally uh, no, it's not for me. <laughs> it's certainly, again, not anything I would insist somebody watch ever. Um, all right, that brings us to homework, right? Did we do it? I think maybe we did. That that, we that did. feels like we did a great job. 
<laughs> High five. Um, there's a lot of stuff. We could I, we could have left a lot more. We could have put a lot more stuff in the homework. Um, but we're rolling right now uh, with the new Apple TV series from Samuel L. Jackson, who does more than Capital One commercials. Mm. Um, and it's, it's this is it the life and times of Ptolemy Gray. The I last think, days of Ptolemy. Yeah, Gray. it's it's the opposite. Um, it is not the life or the times. It's the last days. Uh, well, I think we're getting into the life and the times. From yeah, at least no, you you may be right. <laughs> you may be right. Uh, but yes, I you know look, we don't really know much about this other than it's Samuel L. Jackson playing an even older guy than Samuel L. Jackson, uh, sort of trying to remember his life. And I'm interested. And I think I, at least I think from what I know, he's he's wildly succeeding right at at remembering his life. Like there's some. Something that happens where he really, really remembers stuff. Yeah, you know what I mean? basically, that's that's the story that I uh, have gathered to this point. Um, and then there's the other Apple TV show that everyone is talking about, Severance, from the mind of Ben Stiller. Yes, I've been uh, watching this for a few weeks now, so I'm uh, excited to uh, hear your take on it. Um, yeah, and I the the for those who don't know, the concept of this is very interesting, and I don't even want to say it because. Uh, you know, they spend about the first episode explaining it to you. Yeah. I mean, I think it's fair to say just from the name of the show um, that there's, you know, the, the the very basic idea of people's home life and work life being severed. And then I think the show gets a lot more into, into depth than that. Um, yeah. uh, about what sort of what that entails and, and, and what that would be like and uh, – yeah, I'm not going to say anything more about it until we talk next week. Um, we are going to continue our uh, trying to see Oscar movies uh, bent with uh, Licorice Pizza, which is now available to at least rent at home. And uh, as I was telling Kolsky in the pre-show, I'm personally feeling like maybe I could actually head back to a theater uh, nowadays. So uh, so we feel like it's fair warning to go see Licorice Pizza. Um, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, that's it. We've both really wanted to see it and been afraid. So it's an exciting time. So and yet yet another scene stealing moment from Bradley Cooper, who, by the way, uh, I I had forgotten this. You know what Bradley Cooper's film debut was his first time in a movie? It wasn't The Hangover, was it? It was not. It was Wet Hot American Summer. That was his first film appearance. I did remember him being in that, of course. It's a great film, but I didn't realize it was his first. Wow. Yeah, and the the fact that he came back for that sequel, I think, is also pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, shout out to him. Shout out to him. All right. Um, the last thing we're going to watch this week is Super Pumped, which is uh, the Joseph Gordon-Levitt, uh, Kyle Chandler, uh, and uh, and a few others show from uh, from the creators of Billions. It's about uh, the uh, battle for Uber. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, it's. I think it has a lot to say about our current world, and um, and there's it's very interestingly cast, and and we'll talk about it next week. Um, yeah, I'm interested in that. Although I do have to say, like, I think we have full market saturation on dramatic shows about tech CEOs. <laughs> Perhaps. Well, you know, there's a lot of talk about maybe there are too many too many rip from the headlines uh, shows going on these days. Um, I I. I I can't disagree with that. I I like original content. Again, like I think that's part of why we both were so interested and entertained by Nightmare Alley. It's like at least it's new. 
Yeah, it came from someone's mind. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, and I can see some of that. I do think there's room for this one. Um, and I, the other thing I would say uh, is that I know you, like me, are a, a big fan of, uh, you know, shots of San Francisco. Yes. Uh, and this one's gushing with it. Can't wait. <laughs> you, you will definitely recognize uh, many of the exterior shots in, in, in the in the show. So. All right. All right, uh, and that that's pretty much it for now, yeah? Yeah, that and more Top Chef. Uh, uh, can't wait. Uh, I'll be excited to talk to you next week, bud. Bye. This game's in the Admiral refrigerator. The door is closed. The light's out. Butter's getting hard. The eggs are cooling, and the jello is jiggling. So long, everybody. And do me a favor. Have yourself a tremendous evening.